Hi folks, this is Shaq Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 19th, 2015, and this is episode 1538 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a great one for you today. I've got a guest on that is the exception to the rule, and what I mean by that is most of my guests either hear about TSP from some line of thought or another, or they're part of this community or whatever, and they just ask to be on the show. Or one of you guys go say, hey, check this thing out. You should be on this show, and then they fill out the guest form and we get them on. Very rarely do I go out and recruit a guest. Sometimes it doesn't work out. I think this one will. Past guests that I've actually personally recruited included Paul Wheaton, Stephen Harris, and Gary Collins. We might be on to another one like that when you hear his story. His name is Mac, Matt McDougal, and he has a, a YouTube channel called 50 Ducks in a Hot Tub. As you might imagine, my affinity for ducks and my new adventures in duck rearing is what led me to his channel. And I really like what he's doing. And he actually has a pretty amazing story about how he got to do what he is doing. And it might be more important than what he's actually doing for many of you guys out there, even if ducks are not in your personal future. Before I bring on Matt, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, BulkAmmo.com. Hey, look, have you ever noticed that the first thing that goes up in price when the gun grabbers start crambling about you know taking your guns away isn't actually the guns themselves, but two things, magazines and ammo? Uh, they have both of those at Bulk Ammo, but what they really specialize in, as their name might lead you to believe, is ammo. All the ammo you need in bulk. Shipped to your front door so fast, your head will snap around with how quickly it ends up there. You'll wonder how they even do it. Check them out today. When I need ammo and I need it in bulk, I go to BulkAmmo.com. You should, too. Give them a try, and you will see why. Next up today, Save Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor. Original because they were first. When TSP was nothing, when there were like 20 of us, and I was driving around in my car, and we were just getting started, and people thought I was some crazy idiot that would never get anywhere. Vic Rantala said, no, I believe you are doing something awesome. We want to be part of it. Let us sponsor the show. Being the type of business person I was, I said, dude, I don't want to take your money yet. Let me get this thing rocking, and then we'll talk. And when I got it rocking, they were still there. They still wanted to be part of the team. We brought them on. They've been with us now over six years. This will be their seventh year going into this year. How awesome is that? Seven years of a relationship with a sponsor in podcasting. They have everything you need for your prepping from the practical to the tactical, guns to gardens and everything in between. You'll find it at SaveCastle.com. Remember, Bulk Ammo will give you a discount. SaveCastle will give you their discount membership uh, club, which is $49 if you were to buy it. And both of them will do that uh, for you if you're a member of my support brigade, meeting SaveCastle. We'll make your first year of MSB a dollar, just with their one benefit alone. And if you do consider joining the MSB, you'll find discounts to over 40 other companies. You'll help support the work I do, and you'll get a lot of other cool stuff. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, first responders like EMTs, paramedics, firefighters. How fast was that? Uh, all of you do qualify for a discount if you email me before, not after you join. TSPC service discount in the subject line. Send an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences again before, not after you join. Everybody else, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to see the options you have for signing up there. I get emails from people every once in a while. I hate PayPal. I'm sorry you hate PayPal. I don't know what they did to you, but I take Bitcoin. 
I take checks, I take money orders, I take silver, and with the right offer, sometimes I even take barter. Just go to the members page, and if you want to pay by any method other than PayPal, scroll to the bottom, and you'll see a way to do just that. Uh, with that, let us take a look at the year that was the episode. The year, 1538. I have Spaniard versus Spaniard in the fight for Peru. I have the Holy League is wholly ineffective. And I have John Calvin expelled from Geneva. Google guy expelled from the revolution. I'm going to read that one because I have some thoughts on revolution versus insurrection in our modern day and our hope to have more liberty and freedom in our lives as we battle the, to the totalitarian march of the state. This is a little different, but it's where it's going to lead me, and you'll understand why in just a second. John Calvin had never meant to go to Geneva. He was originally going to go to Strasbourg, but because of the war between the Holy Roman Emperor and the King of France, he took a side trip, ending up in Geneva. Again, this is in 1538, the year of the episode. It was just for a night, but he was convinced by a friend to stay and preach there. He is called a pastor, but there is no record of his taking vows at this time. His training is as a lawyer, so the preacher-lawyer has been backing articles or laws to suppress Catholic practice. Articles are smashed and chaos reigns, so that even though the Geneva Council is Protestant, they give the boot to several leaders of the movement, including John Calvin. He will continue his trip to Strasbourg, but he will return to Geneva one day and stay for the rest of his life. My take by Alex Shrugged that puts these together at TSP Wiki for us. In every revolution, you have people who stir things up, and you have people who organize what happens after the revolution. In this case, Geneva became Protestant through a lot of rabble-rousing, but in the end, they wanted stability. So those who had brought about change had to leave. The same thing happened to Thomas Paine after the American Revolution. He wrote Common Sense that fired the imagination of the revolutionaries, But afterward, he lived in exile in France because he couldn't stop stirring things up. The modern example of this is when Egypt fell and Mubarak was overthrown by some guy from Google. I believe it was Abdal Karim Mardardi, but I'm willing to be corrected. It looked like we would be a revolution of a modern moderates. But soon, the old revolutionaries with longtime organization and religious backing outflanked the Google guy. I remembered his face as he stood on that stage, nervously looking out at the crowd while the mullahs surrounded him. He looked lost, and he was. Um, this is exactly why I'm for insurrection versus revolution in our modern day. Revolutions have a terrible track record of being successful, if successful means greater liberty for the people that fight them. Both fortunately and unfortunately, the American Revolution did provide more liberty for the people that fought the revolution. Though I don't believe it actually provided the liberty that they were seeking, just less tyranny. It's probably why Thomas Paine had to go to France. He might have been like, uh, yeah, about that whole sending the militia to tax the farmers in Pennsylvania on the whiskey that they're making out of their corn. Yeah, we're not supposed to do that now, are we? Off to France you go. I'm sure there was some level of that kind of thing going on. I'm sure the Alien Seditions Act put out by John Adams was flying in the face of everything that Thomas Paine was thinking of when he authored Common Sense. And in, in, even with all that said, there is no doubt that for the colonists becoming the, these states united was a step toward liberty. 
But historically, most revolutions take you from dark to darkness, right? From dark to darker. Because they're fought with a pure outlaying of power, and whichever side is more powerful wins, and that power is soon directed upon anyone who dissents with the new ruler, including those who fought to put him in place. Because, hey, we know what it was like before. We can't have that again. You don't believe anymore. You've got to go off to the gulags or, or uh, what do you, Siberia with you or to the gas chamber you go or what have you. I mean, if you look at the history of Germany, the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis was a revolution. And eventually people were put to death and put in prison because they weren't a good enough Nazi. This is the history of revolution throughout the world. Very seldom. Do revolutions work out the way they did for the colonies that became the United States? And even then, they generally do something that I consider maybe better, maybe worse, but never definitely having to be better. And that is we take the power from one group of people and we give it to another. When what we really want is power in our own lives. That's why I think that our modern revolt needs to be an insurrection. An insurrection for a voluntarist society. A society that says, until such time as that person over there does something that interferes with the rights, freedoms, and liberties of another person in regard to their property, their pursuit of happiness, and until such time as one of those things occurs, until somebody interferes with their life, their pursuit of happiness or their property, then what they do is not my concern. If they hurt somebody's feelings or they're doing something somebody else finds offensive, that is not my concern, and it's not yours either. An insurrection transfers power into the hands of the insurrectionists, and it's a lot longer of, a, of an ordeal, and it requires a different type of strategic thinking. And sometimes that means taking responsibility for things in your life that aren't even your fault. Sometimes that means admitting, hey, life dealt me a shitty hand. But you know what? With enough gumption, any hand can be a winning hand. I'm going to play my hand. And you know what? If that hand loses, I still have enough to ante up to draw another hand and play that one too. Sooner or later, I'll find my way up and out of this table and on with my life. On that note, I'd like to bring on our special guest today, again, Matt McDougall, a guy who's been dealt many hands by life, some of them not the best, but is now doing the best he can with the company of over 700 ducks, apparently 50 of them in a hot tub, to talk about all of that and more. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Well, Jack, thanks for inviting me. Hey, man, I'm glad to have you on. Um, I'm a guy that's really gotten deeply into ducks myself, and one way or another, we cross paths on YouTube eventually with our uh, adventures in duck raising. And I do have you on to talk about ducks and raising ducks and how that fits into your life, but I'd actually like to start out with going through a little bit of your background. Usually I have guests give the five-minute elevator speech, but when I looked at yours, I thought, this is something a lot of our audience really could do with hearing, because I get an email a day at least from one person that says, well, I wish I could do what you do, but I can't because my life sucks. Um, you've had quite a few ups and downs. Can we kind of go through 
how that worked out. I mean, you started your story off here on my notes in 2006. You made the worst business decision of your life. Well, I, actually, it predates the 1991, but 2006 is when it sort of came to a head. <laughs> so tell us about that. Well, I, uh, I, I, I made a decision to uh, expand my, uh, my retail operation that I had uh, opened in 1991, and I bought a 10,000-square-foot building. And I had been renting at that point, and it worked out the rent, and the mortgage was the exact same price. So I thought, you know, why not own? Well, it turned out the building was just a curse. Uh, uh, it basically, uh, I, I, the building was situated between five banks, like dead center. So it was like, I figured it was so busy with the amount of people going to the bank, and I, you know, it would just be a bonus to where I was from where I previously was. And uh, we moved the business there. Uh, in December of 2006, and it was like someone turned the tap off. I, it was actually it was like someone took the eraser to uh, 16 years of business and just put me out of business overnight. We were down like 60% uh, in sales the very first month we opened, and that was in December. Um, it was just it was it was a sinking feeling uh, to watch you know 16 years of uh, a vibrant business just go down the tubes so fast. Uh, it really made me have to uh, rethink uh, on how to do things. So um, we suffered for a while. Uh, actually, it was about 2006. Uh, it was about, I think it was around the January of 2007. That's when I, I knew that I was in serious trouble, and I, I had to embrace the internet, uh, specifically e-commerce, and and I uh, decided to jump into uh, uh, becoming a webmaster and build my own e-com site. The problem was I had so much inventory. I was sitting on about eight hundred thousand dollars in inventory at my cost at that point, which is a, roughly about nineteen thousand items I had in stock, and I had to do something because it was going nowhere. And I, just, I, I the internet was the only thing I could think of uh, to you know to to reach the public to get rid of this inventory. So I started pricing it out and uh, to you know to pay somebody to build a website for me and. Well, they were coming back with like fifty, sixty thousand dollar price tags, and that's when I I knew well I don't have fifty, sixty grand left because I just spent like I think it was like a hundred and ten thousand renovating the building and paid two sixty for it, and I was tapped and I had to learn e-com, so I uh, I took the crash course basically uh, threw myself into uh, building a, a an intercom e-commerce website, and uh, six months later. I had it up and running, and in between that six months, I took the Google Webmaster course and and figured out search engine optimization, and I ended up becoming really good at it actually. And and uh, this the site just basically blew up in a good way. That was uh, the December of 2007. It was so busy, it was actually a, I had to pinch myself. And then uh, I decided to just get on eBay because you know naturally you know multi uh, you know brand yourself on the internet so I jumped on eBay and built a big business and we were just cooking with gas the December of 2008 we shipped to 4,000 orders in 30 days and uh, I thought I had fixed my problem then I made another bad decision and uh, bought oh what was it it was almost I think it was like $800,000 worth of hockey hats that I got for just pennies on the dollar and the day we took delivery of them, February the 1st, 2008, or 2009, and we know what happened in 2008, the famous market crash. Well, the internet public stopped buying February the 1st, the day the transport trailer showed up at our store. And 
that started a really bad death spiral, compounded uh, you know, with the retail store sucking me dry. Uh, internet business just evaporated overnight. It was like uh, it was just like somebody erased the websites and eBay store. Everything just died, and then eBay went through a lot of changes because eBay hired a new CEO that wanted to turn eBay into like an Amazon clone, and they changed. It was the worst decision of my life, actually. Uh, the second worst. One of my worst. I have a lot of worst decisions. Jeff. <laughs> uh, I went to bed with eBay and made a big investment. But they had other plans, and since you know they had plans, they were not telling people what the plans were. But as they were rolling out the changes, I started figuring out what was going on, and they were making it quite clear there was no room for small sellers, and they had their eye on the $500 billion a year surplus market. Now, the $500, $500 billion surplus market is corporations. It's not guys like me. And they were their goal was to take over uh, what Amazon was, you know, having a heyday with, and you know, they bought, they did things like they bought that. I think it's GSI Commerce, the people that ran the NHL and NFL and MLB sites. Yeah. And, you know, they bought that that company, and that company like ships something like seventy five thousand orders a day. So they eBay wants to wants to get into doing their own product fulfillment. They so that means they're headed straight for the Amazon uh, business model, and every single change they made. It hurt my business, and I wasn't doing anything wrong. I had a, you know, like 100% feedback, uh, great ratings. Like my customers, I wasn't, I was treating my customers with respect and giving a good service at a fair price with decent shipping charges, you know, all that kind of neat stuff. And we had a big international business to Russia and a lot of European customers. But everything they rolled out kept hurting our business. So it was like no matter how much I poured into it, it just kept going backwards because of all the changes that we're making, and then. I, I, I knew that it was a dead end, and we owned another chunk of property across from Walmart. And I decided that you know we got to move uh, our store out there. And we were lucky enough that an angel came by, and this angel bought the building I was in and uh, cut me a deal that I could get out of the this quagmire of a sinking ship in, between these banks. So I started working on my new location, which I owned across from Walmart. And uh, that's when I had uh, just a rash of legal problems with the town. They sued me, and I got hit with slander and uh, for exercising my freedom of speech of my opinion of the town officials. And uh, they basically hit me. Between the fines and the lawsuit was $335,000 in legal action against me. And they didn't just go after my company. They went after me personally. So I couldn't even get out of it legally, you know, with the limited company. I was getting, you know, basically screwed, blue, and tattooed to the wall. And uh, they drained me. They, they they wore me down with unlimited tax dollars. Uh, the whole legal battle was it was just a the most stressful thing I'd ever gone through uh, in my life. And uh, and that's what got me. Uh, I, the ducks were actually came into my life that year. Uh, you know, the that's uh, the cute little guys got my mind off of all the stress I was in. But back in 2011, I had a gut feeling that things were you know going to start getting bad and. Spring of 2011, I said, I think I, sh I need to plant a garden because I think my cash flow situation was going to get worse. And uh, I was right. I, I had a, a psychic premonition or gut feeling, whatever you want to call it. But it turned out that August, business was so bad in 2011 that uh, I had three big dogs and, and all of them ended up being vegetarians for six weeks. Uh, mm. I, could, I couldn't even afford dog food for my dogs. It was so bad. So we have a lot of people on the in this audience that grow food in case someday they need to depend on it, and you're someone that actually 
uh, walked that road and ended up having to do it. I am, Jack, if I wouldn't have planted my garden in 2011, that very first year when I hand dug that garden, uh, honestly, I don't know how I would have fed myself because uh, the winter of 2011 and 2012 was absolutely financially the worst, absolute worst time of my life. And, uh, and it got worse in 2012 with the lawsuit. Uh, against me by the town and uh, it just everything just kept mushrooming uh, as far as like I, I went through everybody talks about the economic collapse that's coming I did or I did the pre you know the pre-course on that yeah yeah and and uh, I was so lucky that I uh, you know that I that I hone these skills and uh, I, I would have if someone would have told me Matt if you didn't plant a garden in 2011 you weren't going to be able to eat and your dogs wouldn't get fed I would have laughed at them uh, I would have never believed it, and then it came true. It happened, and uh, and I'm telling you, Jack, you know like the old saying: it's better to uh, to to learn how to do something when you don't have to do it, than to learn something when you have to do it. It makes a world of difference. You're you're preaching the the uh, the mantra of the TSP choir right now, man. That's that's what everybody here is all about. So you you also said on your um your your notes that the ducks are somewhat therapeutic. I mean, going through all that crap is tough. I think people that have never actually built something successful think your life is tough. But from someone that's been up and down myself and then back up again, I can tell you that when you lose something you worked for, even if you don't end up in the poorhouse or whatever, you just lose something you have so much time and effort put into, and it's gone. It's a very difficult thing to come back from. For me, I kind of learned a similar lesson to you, which was don't put my future in other people's hands who can change the rules without asking. Uh, back in the day, you could make a lot of money with Google AdSense, and I had built up about eight to $10,000 a, a month in revenue from AdSense. And they changed the rules one day, and you know it went down to 10% of that. And that's a hard thing to lose after years of work. And it, it takes something to pull yourself out of that. So could you talk a little bit about you know, how working with animals is therapeutic because I'm watching a whole line of them walk past my window right now, and it does just make you feel good. You have a smile on your face right now, don't you, Jared? I do, absolutely. Yeah, they do. It's amazing. It's, uh, um, you know, like a lot of people, you know, you get the PETA crowd and the vegans, and, you know, they tell you, you know, don't eat animals, and, you know, I, YouTube ruined me for uh, when it came to meat uh, because, I, you know, you, you start watching YouTube videos on the factory farm cruelty, what's going on. And I love animals with, like, all my heart. I, I'm a big animal lover and, you know, like, big time. And I, I couldn't uh, – I, 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 wa I watched a video once of uh, the pigs being scraped off the inside of a frozen truck with a snow shovel frozen to the side and, and squeezed so tight inside that, you know, that all their guts were coming out their anus. And I was in the grocery store the following week, and I was looking at the the the, the sale on the backwards for two ninety nine a pound. And normally I would you know buy a whole whack of them, and I looked at them and I said I'm not touching that stuff anymore because uh, I'm not going to contribute to this uh, you know to, to animal cruelty. And the, I, but I don't want to become a vegan. I, I love meat, so it's like okay, so I got to come up with something else. And uh, you know I got chickens the first time. Chickens were all right. I, I, I'm not a big fan of them because, one, they're freakish the way they've been interbred so much. And they, and they aren't very uh, social creatures. Like, they, you, you can't – they're not cute. You know, they don't – they aren't friendly. They scatter. Uh, you, know, they're, they, you know, they taste great. But 
they just don't have that uh, that reward feeling, you know, uh, when you give them, when you treat them really good, you don't get anything back from a chicken. You know, they get that reptilian look back at you, you know? Yeah, they're that, only happy to see you if you're carrying food, where when I go out in the morning just to let the ducks out, they're just happy that I'm there. They talk to you. They talk to you, they wag their yeah. tails, they're, they're just much more agreeable creatures. You know what, Jack? I always wondered, you know, like, I, when I was a kid back when I was 16, I, uh, I had 20 ducks, 20 picking ducks, and uh, I, I, I had them for one summer living at my my parents had a cottage. We were on the lake, and we had them there, and it was a really cool experience. But you know, we had a, we couldn't bring ourselves to eat them at the end of the year. Uh, but I was young uh, then. But you know, now I, I've got them here, and when I got them, they were one. They're, they're so cute. They're so you know, they they they're just priceless when they're small. Um, but when you treat them well. And you walk up to them, like I go out in the mornings, and I, as soon as they hear the door slam, and they stay, they know I'm coming. And I don't have food; I don't feed them in the morning. I don't bring water to them. I just come out to see them and take their eggs. And they're quacking, and they're happy, and and you know, and then I like I've got mine trained to the word hello, and I you know I say hello to them, and they get even louder, and and it's like it just it makes you giggle. It's you know a quarter to six, six o'clock in the morning. How often do you giggle? You know, it, it's the perfect way to start off a day. You know, and, and, and in the summer, it's even better because, you know, you're, you're giggling at 5 a.m. because you're out there with them, you know, and, uh, and and they let you know, too, when it's when they want stuff. And it's not like a chicken, you know. Uh, chickens are, uh, you know, like I said, they taste great. That's all a chicken's got going for it. <laughs> yeah, now, you, you've got like over 700 ducks on your property. I think they have access to a pretty good-sized lake. That gives them a lot of free-range opportunity. But with that many ducks, you have to be producing a lot of eggs. Um, are you doing what we do? Do you sell your surplus eggs off? What do you What do you do with that many duck eggs? Well, I, I only have 700. Well, last year I had 720 ducks. I only have them during the summertime when the okay. lake's open. Um, then I, in the fall, I do the cull and uh, process them for meat. But uh, like this winter, I have uh, 73, uh, 73 females and... Uh, um, Eighty ducks in total plus five geese. Okay, is, is what I keep over. I've got nine, seven drakes, um, and so I've got. I think uh, I think it's seventy-one or yeah, seventy-one or sixty-nine females. Uh, and you know, I, right now I'm collecting eggs, and the Asian grocery store takes them uh, because I've, I've tried selling them locally. But North Americans are hung up; they don't realize that the health benefits of uh, duck eggs and actually today I was at my specialist for my back and he's uh, uh, one of those doctors that does a, he doesn't believe in uh, prescription drugs he's uh, he's not a homeopath but he's a, he's an MD that does chiropractic work and natural uh, therapies and we were talking this morning about calcium in your body and it turns out they've just discovered there's a vitamin called vitamin K2 and there's three top food groups and I forget the first one because it meant nothing to me but the second and third top food groups that that help with uh, vitamin K2 is uh, duck liver and duck eggs. Mm. Now, now what K2 does, here's what the, the thing is that they found out, is that calcium supplements are the worst thing you can take because it goes into your liver and into your arteries. It doesn't go into your bones and teeth. But vitamin K2 make, tells your body to redirect the calcium intake into your teeth and your bones. So if you are, you know, if you are taking a calcium supplement uh, and you're not supplementing it with a K2, you're actually flushing it into the wrong parts of your body. And and he, it was sort of neat that he told me it was duck eggs was number three, 
Wow. And I'm and I'm laying there thinking like, you know, one I already knew that it's good cholesterol. They got you know more protein. They're a better egg. Uh, I eat between ten and twenty eggs a week, and I get tested my cholesterol. And my doctor tells me I need to get more cholesterol. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's funny because of course the high cholesterol foods are bad for cholesterol, but the yeah. duck egg has more cholesterol. So all the dietary guidance says eat them in moderation. And I'm with you. I eat. Well, I eat as many as I can and still keep our customers going because we have found a lot of people to buy. And as you say this, I'm 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 picking uh, grass-fed beef and duck egg from a duck egg taco out of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> But you know the thing is, is that it's the there's a different kind of cholesterol in a duck egg compared to a chicken egg, and that's the difference. You know, uh, the the duck egg is just a better egg. It's got you know better consistency, and it's ultimate to bake with. You get everything's fluffier with a duck egg. You know, make duck egg pancakes. Try it. You know, on my uh, my YouTube channel, there's a recipe, Jack. Try it. Okay. Uh, once you try duck egg pancakes, you'll never make a regular pancake again. Um, <laughs> I say once you eat an over easy duck egg, uh, a, a chicken egg will be a disappointment, and a restaurant chicken egg will be a serious disappointment. Um, you know, my favorite thing to do—I don't eat a lot of carbs, but when I when I'm willing to—is a piece of toasted sourdough with a couple over over medium duck eggs on top of it, and the yolk is just. It's it's like that's everything an egg was supposed to be. Now I have a question for you because when we first started selling eggs, we were selling chicken and duck eggs. We've moved all the ducks now. Some of the customers we got for the chicken eggs, when we said you know try duck eggs, they were like I don't know, they're you know I've tried them before, they weren't good, they had a skunky taste or whatever. And we'd say you know what, here's 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 four, just take them, just cook with them, and they'd come back and go yeah, we don't want chicken eggs and we want duck eggs. Do you think there's a way that maybe people have been exposed to duck eggs where maybe the ducks aren't, you know, our birds are not really free range, but they're paddock shifted. Yours are free range. Our eggs are fantastic. Do you think that maybe some of the eggs in the market don't taste good because of the way they're raised? No. You know what it is, Jack? It's a bunch of adults that remind me of six-year-old kids. I don't like it. Have you tried it? No. Oh, Okay. That's what it is, uh, because I, I discovered egg, uh, duck eggs back in the 80s in Calgary when I lived there, and I my buddy and I went into this Asian grocery store, and I saw them, and I had to have them, and uh, and, and since, that was like 1982, and since 1982, I've hunted for duck eggs, and, uh, you know, I haven't had my, my fill of duck eggs until I got my own ducks, because, uh, you know, every time I find somebody with duck eggs, it would be like you'd have to beat them to get their eggs from them, because yeah. anybody who has ducks and, and gets eggs, they don't share them. No. no, because a duck only lays, you know, like a, a regular duck, like my ducks only lay maximum seven months of the year, about six and a half months, and then they stop, and they only really lay peak eggs for about four months. Really? Um, so, like, a, you know, like a, they're not like a chicken, you know, where it pumps out 300 eggs in a year. Um, you know, I don't have khaki Campbells uh, or runners, you know, which are good layers. And, uh, I have, you know, I have the, I have the Ruin, the Muscovy, and Muscovy only lay for a couple months of the year. Yep. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the Peckin and the uh, Ruins, uh, they, you know, the Ruin and the Peckin, they're about tied on the egg production. So it's like basically about July, my ducks stop laying eggs. And uh, by the end of August, I, I'm out of eggs here because I have no more, and I have to wait till the ducks start laying again late December and oh. uh, early January. And you know, and then I just you know make a lot of dishes that I can freeze that have duck eggs in it, and that's how I get my fix when they're not laying. But you try to talk to people about it, and it's uh, it's like trying to get people to buy duck meat. 
and you say to them, you know, do you, have you ever tried duck? Oh, I don't like it. Have you ever tr- have you ever tried it? No. <laughs> and, and so it's like you can't you can't you can't deal with people when they have their minds closed like that. And the problem is North America because we're so chicken is so pounded into us. Yeah. You know, it's the opposite of Asia. Asia, you know, I have my Asian customers, uh, the Vietnamese store I deal with, we talk all the time, and they 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 came here from Vietnam, and they said they don't eat chicken there. Uh, chicken is for the rich. Uh, chicken eggs are for the rich. Everybody eats duck. Mm. Uh, it's duck eggs, it's duck, and that's what they do. But if you look at their farming over there, like the rice paddies, you know, they use ducks to control the you know the insects in the rice paddies. And they, you know, they you see those videos on YouTube where the, you know, like uh, the duck stampedes going down yeah, the roads. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there are farmers that just breed these ducks that go to field to field, and they'll bring it into a rice paddy field, clean all the the wheat out of the the uh, the bugs out, and they move the ducks over to another place. Yep. And when the season's over, rice season's over, they slaughter the ducks, and the ducks get sold. So the Asians eat free range. They call them home ducks. Uh, you know, and it, they're free range ducks because they live in the rice paddies. Um, but North Americans, you know, we uh, one, you know, North American duck. Like you go to the duck farms, like a, a North American duck uh, done in a farm is nothing like an Asian duck. These Asian ducks, they run all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're like my ducks, my free range ducks are very similar to the Asian ducks, uh, and it, because they're free range, so the meat's you know a lot more dense. Uh, it's a lot leaner. Uh, the legs, the tendons, the ligaments are stronger on a bird because they're more active. Uh, you know, they don't get the big fat on them underneath the skin. But you get a farm duck, you know, the meat's greasy, you know, the skin's greasy. It's, it's, it's not the same type of animal at all. So people, you know, they order duck in a restaurant, they get it, and, you know, it's, they go, it's fatty. They don't like it. So it's, you know, or they eat a wild duck, which is not even remotely related. I always tell people, you know, do you like turkey? They go, yeah, have you ever tried a wild turkey? Well, it's nothing like a domestic turkey, and it's the same thing with free-range duck and farm duck. You know, they're not the same thing. And uh, you try to tell people, and you, I give up. I just, I don't even waste yeah. my time anymore. I think preparation has a lot to do with it too. There's, there's a lot of right ways to cook and a lot of wrong ways to cook. And I think a lot of people that have had something once and said they don't like it, well, if you happen to have it prepared by somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, then you've made a decision that's not based on reality. It's based on an experience. It would be like. If you went on a date one time in your life and the person you went on a date with was a flake and you said, well, I'm never going to date again, it's the same type of, of knee-jerk reaction. It's interesting to go on the eggs, though, because it is very breed-specific. I've got Metzer 300s, and you know these birds lay 280, 300 eggs a year. So I think, depending on their goals, like your primary goal is a meat production thing, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, Bill, I, I want... Uh Actually, my goal was I didn't have a goal, Jack. Oh. I, uh, I I accidentally got the ducks, and I just they just uh, that's a story in itself how the ducks came into my life. But uh, which I'll back up on that for you. I, I decided when I had the chickens, I kept uh, some dual purpose chickens over the winter, and I decided to hatch their eggs. Well, it turned out it was an absolute flop. Which I I, I video logged the whole thing on YouTube, and it is a, a dismal failure. And really, those videos shouldn't be up there because it makes me look really bad. But it's also to show people that. You know, you think, oh, if you ever had to raise and grow your own food, uh, you know, everything, things can go wrong. And if I would have been, uh, you know, totally reliant on chicken, I would have starved in 2013 mm-hmm. because uh, out of 260 eggs, I got like 14 chickens. So, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, I had to get more chicks. I called the hatchery up because now I have to buy chicks because I couldn't hatch my own. And the hatchery had no chickens, but they had some ducks and they had this 
you know, basically, I, at the time on the phone, they said they had about 125 ducks in three different breeds. And I said, I'll just take them all because I didn't even know what I was getting. But I, I just, you know, I, I just, I'll take them. Uh, I know I like duck because I, you know, I, I, I know I've had it every time I go into a restaurant, if ducks on the menu, I've always ordered it. So I said, you know, I live on the side of the lake, so why not? I can't get chickens, get the ducks. And the guy gave me like 41 extra ducklings. Uh, his hatch was very successful and it was the last hatch of the year. So he had to get rid of the ducks. So I got uh, like a hundred and I got, I ordered, I think it was 125. I ordered 120 and I got 171. Wow. So I got a bonus. And uh, and then the ducks, you know, just took over my life from that point on. But I didn't pick the breeds for a purpose. Uh, you know, they had Muscovy, you know, the Peckins and the Ruins. And I just said, well, I'll take them and uh, we'll see what we get. And that's how I have my flock. It's, uh, you know, and then uh, it wasn't planned at all. I, it, this is this everything, the growing and raising your own food. Everything has been sort of by accident. Yeah, I'd say we kind of came into it by accident, too, because we ordered assorted ducks. We actually got 12 ducks from Tractor Supply, and eight of them died. Uh, they That's... had what we call Tractor Supply disease down here, which means don't buy your ducks from Tractor Supply. <laughs> and uh, so I said, my wife said, well, I want them because they're cute, so get me some more. So I said, well, how many do you want? And she's like, I want 22, just being a plucky woman. So I'm like, fine. So she said, did you order ducks yesterday? I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, how many do you order? I said, 22. So she never expected me to do it, you know, order that many. And I figured, well, if we lost eight, you know, of 12, we'll probably lose a bunch of these. And, of course, none of them died. They all did great. And we were building a business based on chickens. And we started selling the chicken eggs, and all of a sudden the ducks hit maturity, and eggs started coming out of ducks. And, you know, I, I started cooking them. I'm like, these are fantastic. And I'm like, I wonder if we could develop a, a more of a premium market here. And it took about two weeks to go, I don't want to ever see a chicken again. Because as soon as we introduced customers to the duck eggs, the ones that were open to it, we we couldn't we couldn't produce enough with the small amount of ducks we have. So then we went and bought specifically a layer breed, but we didn't we didn't start out with that end in mind. It, we kind of got there, and I think for a lot of people, that's what they need to understand. That like you just have to start doing something and get in the game and swing the bat, and you'll hit enough balls to start figuring out. Well, I'm really good at pulling the ball in the right field, or, or or driving it to left field, or driving it center, and then do what you're good at. And I think that people will end up in different places. But we all got to start somewhere. Just get it going. Well, you know, uh, sometimes you jump into things, uh, you know, of necessity, and they, they can end up being the best things because you have to be good at it, and it's the best. It's a good motivation, you know, when you have to be good at it, and it's, it, you know, it's not like, well, I'm just doing it for a paycheck, but I ha I'm doing, I'm doing it for survival, and sure. that's how I, that's how I, I like, you know, I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a prepper. I've always been a prepper my whole life. I grew up where the in my mother's basement and had a cold room and we stockpiled food and we grew it as a, you know as a child and and preserved so i you know i come from that background you know the freezer full of food and uh, you know the grocery store could you know evaporate and you know it wouldn't have mattered in our household uh, and that's where i come from so you know it, it's sort of I, I look at current day preppers and i'm like you know it's, i've been living it my whole life uh, just the way i was raised and uh, you know so now i'm but I never had to do it because I, I went to the big city and you know and did that that routine and uh, you know I, I came back to the country and uh, now you know I'm doing it and I had to do it for survival and it was I would have never thought that you know at 50 years old that I would I had to grow my own food or I wasn't going to eat and it never even dawned on me that was going to how my life was going to unravel and 
and become and take on a whole life of its own on YouTube uh, on top of it, you know, and it's. Uh, Yeah, let's, let's talk about that, right? Because you have this, you know, the channel's 50 ducks in a hot tub. Um, maybe it should be 700 ducks in my house. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, the reality is I know this from documenting a lot of what I do, not just with ducks, but in, in life in general. People think they, they don't make YouTube videos regularly. If they make one here and one next year, they think that when you go out and make videos of what you do every day, that it's no big deal. That it's just you just do what you would normally do and you happen to video it. It adds so much effort to that which you could just knock out and do. What made you be willing to consistently do the extra work? Because you, I mean, I realize as a home center myself, I got so much stuff to get done. I got my podcast to do on top of it. You know, doing something like the Duck Chronicles, it takes a lot more time than people think. What made you decide I'm going to take this and, and kind of run with it? Jack, that is uh, the million-dollar question. Um, it back, I, I opened my YouTube account, I think it was like 2007 or around there, and I used it for real estate. I had some property I wanted to sell, and I just had did some videos for my real estate, and I built a website to advertise, and I got rid of the real estate, and I, you know, the bills came down, and, and then I, the 2011, when I was digging my garden, something just told me, I don't know why, But I said, Matt, video this. And it was just for my own personal thing. And I, I started videoing my garden in 2011, uh, my first series, uh, my organic garden. And I just, and, and YouTube offered, you know, to uh, invite me. They offered me into the partnership deal where I could monetize everything back when it was, you know, uh, it was a privilege to get uh, invited to the partnership club. And I turned it down because I, I was just, it was just, I, I posted videos just for myself. Sure. And, That's all. And so I did that with the garden, 2011, 2012, uh, the chickens. But when the ducks came into my life, I don't know what it was. Something told me three days before, I said, you know, Matt, some, uh, before I went to pick up the ducks, I said, something tells me that this is going to turn into a, an adventure. And I just, I decided, let's do this. I accepted the partnership with YouTube, and I went and picked my ducks up, and I started doing it. And the ducks... They were just so cute that I wanted to share it. They, they, uh, the happiness it was giving me. And you can tell when you go back and you watch my, my very first doc videos, the smile on my face. Actually, I was just looking at it the other day. Very happy times. Uh, those little ducklings, uh, were, were doing they were, the therapy it was giving me was unbelievable. And I wanted to share it. I just wanted to share it. And then it just kept morphing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it was, it, it was like, Back then, it was I was just whacking the videos up. I wasn't really editing and taking, you know, being very professional about it. And then I decided in the fall of 2013 to get serious about it. And I just, I, I just, it was the fans, you know, people commenting and, and you know, cheering you on, and they liked the ducks and they thought the ducks were cool. And and it was always all the videos were always about the animals, not about me, not about what I was doing, but it was about the animals. And now it's more because if I'm not in the video, you know, my 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 followers get mad. They want to, you know, they want me. The worst video I could put up, actually, the worst, the most thumbs down I ever got on a video was when I filmed the ducklings and I wasn't in it, and I just set the tripod up and let the ducklings do do their thing. I got more thumbs down on that video because I wasn't in it. Um, but I thought I was just give people some you know, some something different. But the the work involved, people don't realize it's massive. Um, like. 
just an example, like last year, you know, with the flock, and I'm, I'm looking at a repeat of this this year, my typical day uh, was 17 hours. And six of that was just editing and taking care of comments and managing the channel. Uh, so you, you've got 11 hours of animal husbandry that you're, you know, you're killing yourself labor, hard physical labor. And then you're, you know, you come in and you do six hours more, you know, like three hours that night. And next morning, you know, you get up at 4 a.m. and you, you know, you go right to your laptop and start working, uh, and, you know, to edit, to get, you know, tonight's episode up and, uh, and it's to share it. And it's the fans that cheer you on because the fans are the, are, uh, you know, they're the, they're the driving force because when you, unlike, I don't have a troll problem on my channel because of the demographic that I appeal to. Uh, sure. It's like-minded people. So I don't get – the amount of negative I get is so – like I think my thumbs down is about uh, – I think it's uh, 0.9 of a percent on my thumbs down ratio. So I'm, I like my, I get a lot of positive reinforcement to, to keep the show going and, and to plow ahead and, and uh, you know, to, to not, you know, to lose, to keep my eye on the ball, and the you know, and the end goal, and the end goal is to share the duck adventure because one, they're just so cute, they're funny, and you know they are food, and you know the whole uh, thing about the show is you know to show people that you can raise an animal and love it and still eat it. You know? Definitely, I think that's something people don't get. Um... I, it makes me think of, you know, when Mark, I watched a video by Mark Shepard and he's sending off some of his pigs to, to slaughter and he says, you know, they, they have one bad day. And you can tell it even bothers them a little bit. And this is a guy that farms for a living. And it also makes me think of Joel Salat and it was talking about slaughtering uh, chickens. And he said, when you kill an animal, you should feel something and you shouldn't do it every day. Because eventually you won't feel anything, and that that kind of separates you from the value of what that animal's providing you. And you can love and care for animals and still be a meat eater. And yeah. and, and I try to even take Mark's thing about having one bad day a little further and say, you know, my animals don't have one bad day. They have one bad second. They have well, that- one bad second in their entire life, and every minute that animal was alive is a thousand times better in quality and meaning for that animal than it would 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 ever be in anything that somebody would normally call a farm well you know jack i uh, like last fall uh actually last fall the call was took the most biggest emotional toll on me uh because i really last year the duck adventure was so big uh like you know my first year was 171 ducks and I slaughtered, you know, uh, 74 ducks, and, and then I kept the females. But you know, last year, we slaughtered like uh, 600 ducks. Okay, and I was uh, an emotional wreck the week before, uh, getting ready for it. Uh, like sick stomach every day, stressed out. Um, and then I went through five weeks of depression. The month I was after the the call, uh, and you can see it in my videos. Uh, you know, the month of December, I'm depressed. Uh, I'm not happy. Um, uh, you know, it, it really it mind screwed me up really, really bad because I had so much attachment to them. Because last year the duck adventure, we went through a lot of crap here, um, a lot of predator problems. Um, you know, I fought Mother Nature, you know, tooth and nail here. Uh, we had everything come at us, absolutely everything, and uh, you know, it was a war zone here. Um, and I won. Uh, there was some casualties, but I won. I won the war. I won the battle. But it was hard on me, but it caused this emotional attachment to get even deeper because I was fighting for the ducks uh, so vigorously 
that uh, I got I got I, I got attached to them like they were like my pet dog, you know. And but I don't even have that one second goodbye because when last year we did the call, I figured out a way of uh, doing my ducks that uh, they don't they didn't even know what hit them. Uh, it's like they were one minute they were getting uh, you know a pet and calm right down, and the next minute they're headless, you know. Uh, yeah. And they you know I figured out. A, a new way of doing it that there was no stress for the animal, no chasing them. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's all on YouTube. I video logged it to show people there is a way of you know of corralling them and getting them set up so that they literally walk up to the chopping block, to, you know, to uh, to get decapitated. You know, and uh, they don't. You know, a lot of people you know say, well, you shouldn't let animals see what you're doing. They don't realize that it's the stress that freaks them. They, an animal can be sitting there and watch his best friend getting torn apart by a coyote or a, a turkey vulture, and they'll sit there playing away. They don't have a clue. But no. if, that, if that turkey vulture or that coyote starts chasing them, and then the panic and then stress, that's when the stress comes in. And if you can you know, dispatch an animal without stress, they can see their best, you know, their buddy get done, and they don't have a clue what's going on, because they don't know. They don't have the capability of logic to understand that their head is coming off or their buddy's head just came off. All they understand is the thrashing and the stress factor and the noise. And if they hear an animal stressing out, that's what stresses them out. Absolutely. But if, Absolutely. But if, you, but if nobody's stressing, like I got, like, like I videoed it to prove it to people last year, that look at, you know, we're, we're decapitating them right there and the ducks are sitting there quacking like nothing's wrong. Like, and I'm holding them and he's like, I've got it. I mean, I got. I have my video glasses on. I'm holding the duck standing right there, and the duck's calm as can be, watching his friend get his decapitated. He didn't have a clue what was going on. Doesn't know what's going on. I mean, in the end, they have a cute personality and all, but they, you do have to realize we're talking about an animal with the brain about the size of three peas, it, it, and it only has so many things that it can process. And it, 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 I mean, I think part of why we love animals like ducks is. One thing they share in common with dogs is they don't live in yesterday and they don't live in tomorrow. They live in now. And as long as their world's okay, they're like whatever, man. I, you know, they don't, they don't have this. Well, I guess it's anamorphism. People assign human characteristics to animals that do not have those characteristics. Too much Disney culture, I get. You know, Donald Duck is fine for entertainment, but Donald Duck is not the duck that I raise in my backyard. He doesn't have Huey, Dewey, and Louie as, as his uh, nephews. He doesn't collect anything. He doesn't. Get, he just eats and walks around and does his duck thing. That's exactly. You know, that's that's it. You nailed it because, uh, and you know, the, the people that come down hard on you, uh, you know, about this are people that have never done it. They've never experienced it. Uh, you know, even when you give and them they eat at McDonald's, by the way. Oh, uh, or they're buying even worse Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, you know, yeah. but the thing is, you try to tell them. You know, you show them the video, and they still it's it's like uh, what is that that uh, cognitive dissonance when you know, yes. even when you have the proof in front of you, yeah. you're still in denial, and it's like I'm I'm proving to you that the animal is absolutely calm, like. And I'm, I'm not, because one, my show is completely about you know humane and ethical treatment of animals, and I go the extra mile for everything for my animals. And why would I torture them psychologically at the end of their lives after going through so much pain and work and effort to make their lives so blissful? It makes no sense. It's a complete contradiction. So, Absolutely. Like, 
so if I was if I saw my birds freaking because they see their friend getting their head cut off, well, yeah, then I would build a barrier and I would shut it down. But they're not. They're, I'm standing there holding the duck, and then you know, the duck's looking at me, quacking like I'm going to take them to the lake. Yeah, you know, like it's they don't have a clue. Like I saw it this summer, last summer, where you know I was watching the turkey vultures eating the ducks, and the duck, 50 of their friends in the creek sitting not even 30 feet away. Watching their friend getting torn to shreds. Yeah. The Do you have vulture. any problems with turkey vultures actually killing ducks, or are they eating so- a duck that something else killed? Because we have vultures here all the time, and they don't mess with anything alive. The, this turkey vulture that came in last year, he uh, got it. He, he took a duck out, um, but it was an anomaly. Uh, okay. it, it doesn't normally happen. But like I said, last year, Mother Nature tested us here. Uh, she, she threw everything at us last year. Uh, you know, Coyotes, foxes, otters, uh, we had everything, you know, we had owls, uh, you know, crows, seagulls coming in trying to get the ducklings. Um, it, I did the shotgun, was, it got pretty warm last year. Uh, there was <laughs> can, you, a lot of, can, can you talk about, you know, put the, the reality TV stuff on YouTube on the shelf for a minute and talk about from a husbandry standpoint, what's your typical day like, you know, let's say in the spring, the summer, and the fall? Oh well, my my day has completely has a lot of different. Uh, uh, how would you say? I guess it would be uh, phases it goes through depending on what stage I'm at with the ducks. Like right now, actually in the winter time, you know, you think after taking care of 720 ducks all summer that you know only 80 ducks in the winter would be easy. Well, up here, like this morning, Jack, I woke up it was zero Fahrenheit. You know, minus <laughs> minus 19.6 Celsius. You know, just a little bit below zero uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, so. You know, it, it, it's hard taking care of animals in this climate. You know, like in the winter, minus 30, you know, is not uncommon. And you have to really work hard to take care of your animals, uh, you know, when in that temperature. Because, one, a duck is stupid. They will they'll they don't know not to go outside in that weather. Um, they don't know that they should go back in the barn. You know, they'll, they'll freeze their feet, you know, solid like blocks of ice. So you have to, you know, you have to do the thinking for them. So the wintertime, like when you're in lockdown, you know, when it's 30 below in the wintertime, you're, you know, you're taking, one, I don't have running water in my barn because it's too far from my house and I don't have an underground hydrant system. So I'm taking, you know, like six, five gallon uh, waters down there a day to keep the ducks because the ducks, the barn gets warm just from their body heat and anything over zero, the ducks get hot. So they drink a lot of water. So like you're every three hours you've got to take five gallons of water to them, uh, and you can't take more than more than five gallons because if you take like two five gallon down, what'll happen is the barn's cold enough that the water will freeze. So because they're not drinking it fast enough, if you give them ten gallons of water, it freezes on them. But if you give them five, they can drink the five fast enough that it doesn't freeze. So and the other option is to go heated water, but then you start getting into like I've got enough things heated here. Uh, and the electrical stuff going on, and heated water is a pain uh, for me to haul it back and forth. And uh, you know, wintertime is is a is a, it's tedious, very tedious because you you're constantly doing little things that uh, just to keep the animals going in this harsh climate. Like right now, I'm getting ready for spring, and uh, you know, my typical morning is egg recon, get up and go down and collect my eggs, and uh, you know then come back and feed myself and then you know go down and do my chores feed the ducks fill up their feeders uh, refresh their water I, they have a bathtub a heated bathtub outside uh, that I change the water in it every single day uh, because a clean duck uh, is a warm duck 
because in this climate, uh, if they get dirty, they can actually they can get a really good chill. So they need to keep their feathers clean, and uh, you know they really need a bath at least twice a week. Um, and if they're in lockdown, like we get an extreme cold snap where you know if they're locked in the barn for you know three, four, five days, they'll get as black as could be. It's like amazing how filthy they get because uh, even keeping the barn clean and you know you know every three days shoveling all the straw and putting fresh straw in, they throw feces everywhere. You know, and you swear they have feces fights the way they get coated. Plus, then you got the drakes. You know, they're on top of the females all the time, so they're grinding the you know the feces into them, and and then they you know they get really dirty, and you can look at their feathers, and their feathers get really uh, uh, sort of clumpy looking. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you know they're not holding their body heat you know so you've got to they need water access like it's all there's a I try to show enough of it on YouTube so people can get an idea like actually I've had a lot of people say that you know when I retire I'd like to raise my own animals and usually after they watch my show a while they realize that's not what they want to do in retirement. <laughs> there's an old commercial I don't remember what it was about but. Uh... There was a bunch of people out uh, looking for dinosaurs in Wyoming or something, and uh, sweating away and digging this, you know, skeleton out of the ground. And there's this older man out there with them, and they're all talking about what they're going to do when they retire. And uh, the one guy says to the, the older guy, he says, "Well, what about you, old timer? What are you going to do when you retire?" And he turns to him, he says, "Son, I am retired." And I mean, I think that's kind of the attitude you have to have. Like, you do this not because it's something you want to do when you don't think you're going to be working anymore. You do it because it's something you love, and it's something that you want to be part of your life. Well, actually, you know, you don't do it if you consider retirement you don't want to do anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, and that's the, the the mindset you got to get through. So, if you want to, you know, if your retirement idea is that you want to just lay back and relax. Don't get don't get into the groove of growing and raising your own food because so I think I, you should because I think it'll keep you out of the old folks' home and I think it'll keep you healthier and alive longer. I think a big part of our problem today is retirement in the way that we think of it. A hundred years ago, there was no such thing as retirement, not oh, the way we think of it today. There was an evolution of what you were able to do for your family and your community. And as people got older, they took on more things like equipment maintenance and advice, but they were active and engaged right up until the day they either fell over dead or couldn't get out of bed anymore. Well, you know, Jack, um, I'm, I'm 53, and uh, I've never been stronger in my life. And, I, I, and I've worked out my whole life. I was one of those kids that, uh, you know, is very athletic my, my whole life. I've uh, been a workout freak. I always, I always uh, my friends... They uh, they waste like 45 minutes, you know, five days a week going to the gym. And I look at them and I say, what a waste of time, man. You know, if you took up a good hobby like growing and raising your own food, you'd actually you'd lose weight, accomplish something, and eat better. Um, and, you know, because going to the gym has got to be the biggest waste of time. I did it for decades myself. So And so now I look at it like it's amazing like i look at how in shape i am in the summertime here running taking care of the animals i love it uh because one i can drink beer like a fool and i gain no weight i can eat like a massive pig like i can eat uh you know two pounds of meat for supper and you know and uh you know a pound of veggies and have snacks at night and like i i probably eat probably between four and five thousand calories a day in the summertime and uh, and I'll lose three inches off my waist. You know, uh, it's the ultimate workout, and and you're having fun with the animals, and 
you know, but you gotta, you know, you gotta have a thing where you're not hung up on dirt that you don't mind feces, uh, you know, that hang up and uh, you just, you know, just jump into it and go for it. And it's so rewarding because you, you know, you're looking, it's like, I'm in better shape now at 53 than I've ever been. And I can do things that I couldn't do before. And uh, my stamina levels through the roof because, uh, you know, you, you go 11 hours taking, you know, doing things for your animals and there's no way you'd go to the gym for 11 hours. You know, and, and you know, I've seen like when I, you know, expanding my pan or like this year I got to expand the duck pan and I'll get, a, I'll get going at that and I will burn the candle at both ends and, uh, you know, digging holes by hand. And everybody says, you know, get a machine in to dig it. And I said, why? I can dig it by hand just as fast, you know, and it's, and I get something out of it. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I feel good. I feel pumped. And I feel younger. And, yeah, I definitely uh, think you got to get past the getting dirty and you know animal poo thing. Um, we we never really had any problems with odor until this year, where we're we're just getting ready to get rid of the last bit of the other birds and move the ducks to a bigger holding area. So right now, their nighttime holding area there's really less space than there should be, and then we just had week after week after rain and melting snow and rain, and everything gets wet. And and that's where you start to pick up some odor. And otherwise, it's it's just duck poop. It's just, it's it's soil building. It's 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 a great thing. My, my I'm looking out at my yard right now. We don't irrigate or do anything. We just manage with the ducks. And I'm looking straight to the back at my neighbor's yard who does nothing at all. And his yard is brown. And my yard is shaggy green. And that's what duck poop is to me. It's this, this wonderful yard. And I probably, you know, mow the edges here and there and weed the edges here and there twice a year because the ducks eat everything. And, that's the great part. <laughs> and that's just awesome. And people say, well, like, how much money do you make on duck eggs? And we don't make a huge amount because we only, you know, we run about a hundred ducks and we've just kind of gotten into there and a bunch of them won't be laying for another 16 weeks yet. Um, but, if I look at what I feed these guys, you know, because they do get a portion of, of their feed from, from being fed, because they're only on three acres, um, I could never hire anybody to do for me what those ducks do for me in return for some feed. I mean, there's no way in the world anybody would come here and maintain this property for what the ducks charge me. You, you know, Jack, in the province of Ontario up here in Canada, it's against the law now. They banned uh, cosmetic spring every year. You can't buy the, uh, the you know the selective weed killers anymore. Okay. So everybody everybody's yard is just dandelions and weeds and it's disgusting. Okay. And my my lawn, people come here and they accuse me of spraying my yard. And I said, well, one, you know, I can't spray because you know I've got animals free ranging and they would die if they ate the poison. And they're like, well, how do you get you know I've got an acre of grass here surrounding my house and the ducks absolutely love weeds weeds they like weeds over grass yeah uh, and then when the weeds are gone they'll eat the grass yep and like i used to spend 50 hours a year on my lawn tractor and i know that because the hour meter told me when i did my oil changes mm. 48 to 50 hours cutting the grass every year last year 1.5 hours on my lawn tractor uh <laughs> Now that's a big drop from yeah, 48 to 50. That's a um, lot less gasoline too, and a lot less time spent. Yeah. No, no. And, and you're the, right that they love uh, weeds. When I moved in here, like the the worst invasive weed around here is is the Russian thistle and prickly lettuce, and those two things are everywhere. There, you can't find it on my property. The first thing the ducks and the geese did was eat it all. 
Oh, they love it. Every bit of it that came up, they ate it, like, immediately. Like, they, you'd let them out, and they would run out, and they would start just picking around, and then one of them would, like, oh, it, and they would just all run over there and eat it to the ground. And any any weeds that did go to seed, they they love the seeds. They eat all the seeds. So it's like, so the weeds get really double whammy, because if they, if it did manage to go to seed, the, the ducks eat the seeds. Correct. You know? uh, and another bonus that, about ducks, and I, I noticed it last year, big time, because last year we had a really wet year up here. It rained like, well, it destroyed my garden. And my garden was a washout last year um, uh, from the, uh, the the rain we had. But normally you get that much rain, you get a lot of mosquitoes. Now, what ducks love to do is they love, you know, when they get into a puddle and they, you know, they sift through the puddle with their yep. bills. Well, they're, they're eating all the larvae in the puddles. Yeah. Last year, all my everybody I was talking to, well, there was two complaints last year from all my neighbors. The mosquitoes were crazy. And the skunks tearing the yards up to get at the, the beetle larvae, okay? I had no larvae on my lawn because the ducks would drill and get the larvae. And I had no mosquitoes. Like, I don't remember mosquitoes. Like, they, they're, the duck has got to be the absolute best thing you could have for your yard. Um, I actually did a video on YouTube about perfect lawn care, organic lawn care, to show how good it was and from doing nothing. Like, just let the ducks do it. And yeah. they, 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 it's something about weeds. They see a weed and they fight over it. You see them running yeah. towards it. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, they, they're, they're murder on flies too. Um, we have a lot of, we have a lot of cattle in the area and by midsummer here, there's flies everywhere. That's what everybody complains about. And they do go to the duck house because there's manure there and it does attract them. But if you walk over there at a time when the ducks are there and the flies are swarming, it sounds like 20 odd people randomly snapping their fingers. Yeah. Because they're snapping them out of the air. I mean, just and and then the other big pest we have here are grasshoppers. Yeah, they love grasshoppers. And, oh my god. It's like chickens will randomly run and get a grasshopper or three here and there. The ducks literally get in a formation and push through a paddock and drive them like a bunch of hunters driving deer. What a lot of people don't realize is that ducks are actually predators. Yes. And you know, they people don't realize that, but they're you know, they're a predator and a grazer. And, uh, you know, they, but they're a predator first. They graze second. And, yeah. you know, they, a lot of you don't understand that. Like, you know, like ducks, uh, my guys get on the lake. And the lake I'm on is just infested with minnows. And it's funny, once they get old enough and they figure out, they learn how to uh, dive to get the minnows. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. You watch them and they, that's all they do is fish, you know, going <laughs> after the minnows. Uh, you know, they're really an aggressive animal that way, like frogs, uh, you know. Uh, you must little... have a lower product feed bill than I do with that big lake. No, no, they still burn through it. It's actually, still actually, what I noticed last year, because last year uh, my ducks were one month older than uh, the previous year for being in November. What I noticed was that in uh, September and October, I was going through 400 pounds of feed a night. When they were in the, uh, the in the compound, and because they only fed at night, because during the day they're at the lake. Which yeah, seven hundred ducks. Yeah, okay, that makes yeah, sense. So so four hundred pounds. Well, what I noticed in November, uh, they were getting so proficient at foraging for food in the lake that instead of going through five bags, eighty pound bags at night, I was only going through four. It dropped down to like 320, 360 pounds uh, of feed. So I had about a twenty percent reduction. And that was just because they were learning. They had taught themselves uh, to be more proficient at hunting on the lake. 
and I go down there and watch them, and they never stop hunting during the day. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, but when they were first introduced to the lake, the first while they they don't understand the hunting thing. So what they do is they just goof around and they do a lot of sleeping on the side of the lake. Yeah. But once they get good at hunting and they they know how to get the minnows and they know how to you know to drill up the the, the weeds and uh, they they once they know this, that's all they do. That's all they do. They go down there and they just work the lake, you know. And uh, and when they come home, they just eat a you know one bag less on me. And uh, that's you know, that's, good. I notice, yeah, but it really changes the taste of the meat. Yeah. You know, it makes it much stronger tasting. Yep. Uh, which is what I like. I like that strong taste. You know, yeah, we notice the eggs in the middle of summer when they're eating a lot of insects. As gold as the yolks are all the time, they're more gold. It's like it's a, it's the keratin I think in the exoskeletons. It's the same thing that takes a, a a trout that was stocked and the year they stock it, he's white and if he holds over in the stream for a year, they turn pink to orange like a salmon from all yeah. the keratin and what they're eating. Um, and then, like the other thing we've been doing to supplement our feed, I, I used to do a lot of barley fodder for for everybody. But what I found the ducks absolutely love is sprouted black oil sunflower. Oh, really? So I just do that. And I have a, a group of buckets with holes drilled in the bottom, so they'll drain. And just like you might make sprouts in a jar on your kitchen countertop, I you know I have a lot less ducks than you have a hundred. You have seven hundred. But I put three big scoops of uh, sunflower seeds in a bucket. I soak that water overnight. The next day, I dump it into a bucket with holes, and then I put another one in. And then I have three strainer buckets. So by the time you get all three filled and you're putting the next one in, you've got three days of growth, and you've got this. You know, it's before they actually get the the true leaves popping out, but they've got a pretty good stem and a root, and it it like quadruples the the weight of the feed. Yeah. And they go maniacal crazy on those things. I mean, it's you, you put down the. I have these big metal tins that I put them in, about six of them, so I can spread it out so everybody gets some. And it's like a, it's like an absolute melee fiasco when you when you put the, the feed out there for them. They it, and it's gone. It's like five minutes and it's all gone. I tried uh, fodder last the winter and my ducks weren't interested in it. They were more interested in bales of hay, hmm. uh, the alfalfa. They really like. What were you making fodder from though? Um, I made it actually, I did one from wheat, one from barley, and uh, one from oats. I tried all three. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they weren't interested. Uh, they, that's why I left the barley. The chickens liked it, the geese liked it, and the ducks kind of picked at it. But uh, try, give, give sunflower a try because black oil sunflower is like stupid cheap. Uh, and it, it's fast too. Like barley takes like five to seven days, and this is done in three. Oh, that sounds interesting. And it's, it's, good, you know, it's a good nutrition boost for them. And if it, anything, it cuts the feed bill. Uh, I okay. the hay I find the hay uh, they really love the hay they really I'm gonna try that I've never given them hay yeah Bela gives them good alfalfa hay and uh, they'll just strip it clean I, I made a uh, a hay dispenser uh, <laughs> to throw a bale inside of it and they just they'll pick it right down to nothing just the stems wow. you know uh, they're like they they really like I give it to them in the winter once the once they start free ranging I don't give them anything because they can sure. you know forage off the land there's lots here you know they've got the lake. Uh, you know they've got the property. There's you know there's I got a lot, I'm in a, I'm in a unique situation. So you know, I've got a 300 acre lake that nobody uses but me. So it's uh, the ducks have got you know the ultimate playground. Yeah, absolutely. I I know a a buddy of mine that's in that situation. I keep telling him get some ducks, man. You don't you don't have to do a lot if they have because he's got like about a 600 acre lake and people use it, but not the way that you would think of with a typical public lake. And it's his house is right. You know, borders it. So I'm like, throw 
couple dozen Muscovies on there, and they'll take it from there. So, because I, I don't know about what you've noticed, but I've noticed that as far as foraging ability, it seems to be that my Muscovies are a lot better at getting what they want from the land than maybe the other ducks are. I find ruins are phenomenal. I think it's because they're so close to the close mallard. To mallard, yeah. Yeah, they're the, the Pekings. They're you know they're not bad. The Muscovies I find are more interested in my yard. They uh, they would rather run around around the yard chasing bugs. Yeah. Uh, where you know the ruins love the lake. The ruins are always the first ones to get to the lake. Uh, they're much more uh, goal oriented when it comes to the lake. Pekings are sort of in between. Um, but the nice thing about ducks, and a lot of people don't realize this, is that they won't go far from your house. Like if he's on a lake. They're going to probably hang around within 500 feet of his house. Yeah. Uh, you know, they won't go far. Like, ducks are really freaking smart, man. They're uh, like my guys, I, you know, they come home every night on their own. Yep. And, you know, it's a 1,500 foot trek for them to come home. They come down the creek, they come home, they go into the pen on their own in the morning. You know, they tell me to let them out. And I and bet they do it in a great big line. Oh, it's, well, it's a little bit of a horde. Uh, yeah, but it's got it, it's that zombie you know, World War Z thing, you know, where they get going. And, uh, and in the mornings, you know, they, they tell you they want out, you know. Like, if you, if I, you know, one, you can't sleep in here in the summertime because it's just too loud. But uh, they tell you, like, let us out. And, uh, See, and you let them out earlier than I do. I, I am so eccentric that I know that if I hold them in till about 8.30, that most of them will have laid. And if I let them out earlier than that, I have to do an Easter egg hunt. And if I let them, because I've always done that, they're they're ready to go. But they've accepted like this is like, like they're very much habit type creatures. Yep. But if I sleep in on a Sunday and I go out there at nine fifteen, they're pissed. They're like, dude, you're. It's almost like they have a clock. Like, dude, they look at yeah, they're looking at their watch. Eh? Like, yeah, and then when the time changed from the stupid daylight savings time, it took them like two weeks to accept the new reality of that. Like, this is not cool, man. The whole thing is altered and. We didn't sign up for this, and you are supposed to be here. And yeah, see, I, 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 door, I, man, everybody runs, and they're all quacking, and they're ready to go. And yeah, like I, I said I, earlier, you can't watch them run across the yard without smiling. I don't, uh, I don't do the time change. I stay on duck time. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's like you know when the time changes, I don't like everybody else. All the time, I, I don't care. I go by what the duck schedule is. So it's like I don't. They don't. Their lives stay. I, I go with them. You know. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's like it's just. They, but the thing is, what I found, and you, maybe you might give that, a, give it a try, Jack. Is what I found is that if you do the early routine with them, yeah, that uh, they get their egg laying out of the way. Uh, huh. They like I have, I have never found an egg in my lawn, never. Huh. Uh, you know, I've, I've found them in the pen the odd time. Yeah, but you know, ninety-five percent of the eggs are laid inside the barn. You know, they they uh, they get conditioned to know where they want to lay their eggs. Um, and actually, I was reading Metzler uh, Farms. He actually has on his blog where he did a test and he trained the ducks to lay eggs on one side of the enclosures. Okay. And they found when they did this uh, that it, after two weeks of conditioning, the ducks knew to lay the eggs on one side. Huh. And uh, that's when I got the idea. How do you do I, that? Do you just hold them there until they lay and then let them out, or what? You just, just you just sacrifice some eggs, uh, uh, and and just show them like uh, you know when you put them into you have a um, like I have got nesting boxes set up and with straw on them and everything so the ducks you know like I do egg recon in the morning I might 
Like if I pick up 40 eggs in the morning, I might get four or five stray eggs laying on the barn floor. Yeah. Like 10%, uh, where the rest are in the nesting boxes. Now, yeah. now in the mornings, they're coming out on their own because they aren't, uh, now the weather's nicer. I don't have the uh, gate closed on the exit on the barn. So the ducks can come out at 5 a.m. Well, they do. I'm laying in bed. I hear them quacking outside, but there's no eggs in the pen. They're all, they lay the egg in the barn because of all winter laying in the nesting boxes. And when spring comes, it's sort of like they go in there, you know, they go out to the, you know, out to the pen, uh, and they want to lay egg. They seem to go back into the barn to do it. And then they come back out, you know, and it's just from keeping them in the barn, uh, you know, and having a, a dedicated nesting box set up with the straw and, you know, so that they, because they like to be closed in when they lay their eggs, you know, uh, because when I first winter, I didn't have nesting boxes right off the bat. Yeah. And it was, I had my barn in wide open and that was, I found eggs everywhere in the pen. Like they would freeze up here because if you didn't get an egg within an hour in the winter, yeah, it's they would, they, it was done at 30 below, it freezes yeah. within one hour. Yeah. So I last year I had so many frozen eggs it was nuts. Uh, this winter I think I got maybe two eggs in the pen the whole winter because I this winter I had nesting boxes designated for them and I they were they just they just knew you know yeah, they go into I mean, the little a bunch I haven't done it because they're fixing to have their big move uh, so they're going from an eight by eight shed to a, a sixteen by uh, twelve so it's like I'm putting well you don't you don't have nesting boxes. No, I, they have. Okay. They go all in the corners and they make little holes and um, and they they lay. I'd say ninety percent at least in the in the shed that they have. Um, except right now, I've got two muscovies that went broody, so they've occupied two of the laying spaces and they won't let the other ducks there. Uh, and then I have one little runner duck, a little gray runner duck that has decided. That she is going to lay her egg uh, every day under um, uh, a table that's up on the porch, and if she's in the other paddock where she can't get there, then she has a bush. So we okay. know where that one egg is going to be, and she will—I I swear to God, she's holding it. She will not do it until she gets out. But I'm hoping when we move and we get them into more of an organized structure, that, that that'll change. Because right now, I only have about 12 birds that. Well, the, the muscovies I just brought in are all laying, but. The original flock. There's only about a dozen of them that are that are females. I'm like 50-50 Drake duck in that group, and this whole new group of of another 50 birds that are all ducks. They're not they're not ready to lay yet. Again, they won't lay till about July. Well, if you build them uh, some, real, and you don't need to be fancy on the nesting boxes, like I did, the most basic basic thing. It's just well, it's a it's 16 inches by four foot piece of uh, particle board. I put three three little walls up so they're divided up uh, into three. Yeah. So like they've got like sixteen by eighteen inch space to to go into, and that's all you need. You don't need to put a roof on them or like that. They just need a place where there's you know they have three little walls around them. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you, it changed everything. Like the eggs, I don't have to hunt for eggs. They go there to lay their eggs, and uh, you know you keep the straw fresh. The eggs and that keeps clean. them cleaner and all too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because when I last winter I didn't have nesting boxes at the beginning, and there was like I found more eggs outside. Like I'd be going out at five thirty in the winter in the morning with a flashlight to get the eggs and yeah. before they freeze. And now, I know, tell you, I've seen a duck running and an egg just fly out of her butt. Yeah, they I've do seen that. It, nothing. I mean, I've I've never seen a chicken do that, but I've seen ducks just walk along and like an egg will pop out of her, and she'll look back like, oh, I but see. You know, 
and they you know, just go on with their life. Like, but you know, Jack, I I had that problem last year where they were just dropping them everywhere. Yeah, and the nesting boxes stopped it. Cool. Uh, it it's I guess it's like you know they like uh, you know they build little enclosures in this you know along the lakes and the reeds and that and they close themselves in and you know and put their eggs in it you know out of sight and I think the nesting box mimics that for them and uh, they just get it in their mind that's the place the best place to lay their eggs and like I'll you know you go in the morning in the nesting box and you'll find like seven eggs in one nesting box you know they'll take yeah. turns laying eggs sure. in there absolutely and, you know and it's um. It's solved my like I and it's you know and mine are very uh, mobile like this weekend I'm moving everything around because I'm setting up the Muscovy shack uh, because I'm going to let my Muscovies hatch their own eggs this year. Sure. So I've got nine females and. Uh, uh, there's already two of them going into brood on me right now, so uh, you know it's gonna. It's too cold right now to start, but I'm going to uh, this weekend. I'm building that for them, uh, configuring the uh, shed for them so they can have their own space, and and uh, it should be. It's going to be interesting this year letting them do their own. But I've never let ducks, you know, do it on themselves. Mm. Oh, it's a. Uh, Muscovies will they? They're incredible parents. The the big trend in the 80s down here was all these apartment complexes that had ponds would, you know, throw a few dozen muscovies on them. And then the residents would have ducks to feed bread to and whatever. And the population would just swell. And about the only thing that ever kept it in check was the turtles. Because okay. the ponds would eventually have the green turtles. And, you know, you'd feel bad because the little kids are there watching the ducks. Mommy, look at the ducks. And you'd hear, bloop, yeah. bloop. <laughs> And yeah, if it wasn't right. for that, there would have been a hundred million ducks in, in, in one pond. So they are incredible at it. And the other thing you can do with them is their gestation or their incubation period is 35 days. So if you know when she's sat and your normal duck eggs are a 28 day gestation, you can pull outside some eggs and time them and give them that extra seven days and then pop a few other you know, breed eggs underneath them, and she'll raise them like her own. She doesn't know any difference, and they're going to okay. hatch about the same time as long as you sync up those uh, incubation fine, periods. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, they're 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 a really good bird for that. I, I I've seen it already. You know, there I saw it last year actually too. I had actually I, I had some muscovies last year that uh, never snapped out of their brooding, and they end up dying. Uh, they really, depleted, they depleted themselves completely. Uh, huh. Because I guess it's a psychological thing to snap themselves out of it. They need to go through the whole birthing cycle. Yeah, they need a, they need you know? a baby. That, I mean, yeah. Babies and to take care of. Until that happens, they stay in that state of mind. Because last year, and I, you know, I video logged it all because they, all of them, you know, just went into a death spiral because I didn't let them hatch their own eggs. Yep. So this year I'm not doing it. I'm going to let them do it. I'm going to let Mother Nature run its course, and we're going to see, you know, uh, you know how the females do. Um, you know, I'm really excited about it. Uh, you know, the people watching the show are excited about it. It's going to be different because I'm only going to be using the incubator uh, for my uh, my ruins and my peaking. So, um, you know, it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to let the Muscovies do the thing, and you know, maybe I'll get a hundred Muscovies this year. Who knows? And hey, it's a good, it's a good meat yield. That's how we're looking at it. Is we bought them for additional eggs for our customers until our other birds come up, and at the same time. You know, if they want to, if they want to produce thirty or forty or fifty birds for us this year and do all of the brooding, and we don't have to do anything, God bless them for it. So, uh, what are your plans long term, and where are you going? Uh, you just kind of mentioned this year you're going with the scubbies and uh, letting them do their own thing. What are what are your long term plans now? Well, this year is a really exciting year, and actually, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to announce it here on your show. Um, 
The Doc Adventure is going to take a new angle this year. We're uh, I'm going to be raising the uh, you know I'm, I'm going to shoot for a thousand ducks this year, and the the goal of the the Duck Adventure this year is that all the ducks that uh, I raise um, we're going to be donated uh, to the needy. Um, I've secured a uh, provincially uh, approved processor um, in the province here that is willing to uh, process them uh, the way I want them processed um, and be provincially inspected that I can actually let the meat leave my property and uh, we're going to be uh, a lot of food kitchens and uh, uh, you know food banks are going to be getting the ducks from the duck adventure this year wow. so uh, it's it's uh, it's I'm excited about it it's a, it's a big deal and uh, you know I'm, I'm that's that's what I'm focused on completely because last year we had the problem that Legally, well, if you slaughter animals on your own property in Canada, they can't leave your property. Okay. So um, it was really hard finding a processor, but I found a, uh, a processor in the province that is willing to do it. If the animals are being donated, he was going to donate his services. Oh, okay. Uh, That's great. Oh, yeah. It's a great guy. He's uh, um, I, I was lucky to find him, and he agrees with me on the way they need to be slaughtered. Uh, so. We're going to be arranging. It's going to be actually a really big event. Uh, he's going to arrange a, a triple-decker uh, pig truck, um, and because you know your transportation of an animal is so stressful, um, and he is arranging a triple-decker uh, pig truck that we're going to walk the ducks into it, so that we don't have to chase the catch them, and uh, it's going to be like a school trip for the ducks. Uh, so I'm excited about it because. The duck adventure this year is going to be feeding the needy, and uh, you know because I don't need to have a thousand ducks. I only eat about maybe about 150 ducks a year myself. Sure. Uh, so I don't need this many, but I want to do it because uh, I want to give back, and it's an opportunity that things are just falling into place to do this. And uh, you know we're going to be running a big fundraiser on the show uh, to help feed the ducks, to help feed the homeless. Uh, that, that's and, awesome, man. Oh, it's it's going to be an exciting year. It's. Uh, I'm pumped about it, and uh, you know it's all coming together. The pieces are falling into place. Uh, like to find a, a processing plant that's willing to donate their services, uh, because ducks are the most expensive to do. Um, yeah. Because because here in Canada, you're not allowed to have anything uh, feather-wise left on an animal. So uh. the way so the way they process ducks up here, they have to use the hot wax method. So it's very expensive. Yeah. Um, you know to do it. And uh, this guy, uh, you know, he bellied up to the table and offered his uh, services of his plant. And he's a, you know, he's a you know, big plant. He's, he's a, you know, he's provincially and federally uh, approved. So uh, it's an exciting year on the Duck Adventure. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be big. We've got some Canadian uh, celebrities that are interested in coming to visit the show. And you know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be. I think the Duck Adventure is. This is going to be the big year for it. Uh, we'll get some good awareness, and, and uh, you know, we're not just. You know, growing and raising our own food and sharing it with the world, but we're actually going to give back to the community. Well, that's very cool. And for everybody that's listening out there, can you tell them how to uh, subscribe to your videos, watch your stuff, what have you, how to find it? YouTube and uh, 50 Ducks in a Hot Tub. Just type it in the search bar and you'll find me. It uh, comes up number one in the search results. Um, it's That's the easiest way to get us. And then click on the YouTube channel and click subscribe and, and then just watch how it unfolds here. And, uh, uh, you know, I try to. I try to video as much as possible. Uh, you know, and Jack, you know what it's like to put stuff up on YouTube. It's a lot of work. Um, you know, it's it's a big job, but I you know I've got to show people you know what's going on here and, and how it goes, how things happen, the good and the bad. So if you've got a queasy stomach, some days it's not a good show to watch. 
because there are bad things that happen when you're raising your own animals. Yep. Um, you know, and things that, you know, that make you sad. It makes me sad too when it happens. Um, but it's, uh, you know, $50 in a hot tub. It's the, uh, if you want to watch, a, you know, a duck show that uh, gives back, and this year the ducks are going to be giving back big time. Well, and I think before we wrap up here real quick, I'll give you a chance to, to give a shout-out to your, your partner there, Doug. I mean, I've got my partner, Charlie Dog, and I, I don't think I could I could take care of everybody without him. And I know your dog's a big role on your homestead. Well, Doug is actually, he's, uh, I, I rescued Doug last year. I actually adopted him. He was trapped in an apartment uh, for 15, his first 15 months of his life. And I uh, I stumbled across him. My old dog had died, and I'd gone a couple months without a dog. And it was a Friday morning. I decided that uh, it was time for a dog. And, and I didn't want to get a pup because I didn't want to go through the puppy stage with you know with what I had planned that year. Mm-hmm. And I went on, uh, we have a site up here called Kijiji. And uh, it's a, uh, uh, like, it's like a Craigslist in the States. I went on to it, and there was this dog. And it was the most black and white you saw. It was the worst picture, Jack, you'd ever look at a dog. And I saw the picture, and I said, I want that dog. And he was it was a 12-hour trip for me to go get him. And uh, I went and got him and rescued him from his hellhole that he was living in. And it was a hellhole. Um, and I brought him here, and the dog was a natural duck dog. He took to the ducks, took to the ducklings specifically. Like, he was attached to them, uh, just mesmerized by them, and as gentle as could be. And uh, and then he started packing on the weight. Uh, you know, he, he's, you know, he's 131 pounds now. Um, and he hates predators with a passion. He uh, and he knows he actually does some really. You know, he doesn't like the ducks when they're getting raped. And ducks, uh, <laughs> when you know, when a, when a ducks, a lot of people don't realize like a female duck chooses who she wants to be mated with. And if sure. she doesn't like, she doesn't like the male. She'll fight him and squawk like crazy. Well, Doug, they have a distress sound, and Doug has picked up on the distress sound. And he has broken up more duck rapes than you can shake a stick at. I actually caught one on video last year where Muscovy was trying to rape a Peking, and he uh, ran up to it full for bore, and he hit the duck with his chest and knocked the male off the female. <laughs> That's interesting because uh, what Charlie has been doing lately is we've got three Muscovy drakes, and one of them's clearly the the ruler, and the other two have just accepted he's dominant. But those other two get in a lot of uh, a tangle uh, from time to time, fighting over the, the, the females. And Charlie will just run in there and knock them apart from each other, but no real aggression. And it's just like he's not cool with any form of aggression between the animals. That's what Doug does. He, uh, he doesn't like when they fight. Uh, actually, the geese were fighting last year, and he broke that up. He oh, yeah. Like yeah, he'll do that, too. Yeah. And, but but the predator situation, the dog lived in an apartment. Like, he was an apartment dog. He got put it. He This dog can hold his bowels for 24 hours because they were bragging to me when I rescued him that he only has to go to the bathroom once a day. 15 minutes outside is all this dog ever got. So he got here, and, you know, and he's got all this unlimited space to run, and, and, and he just he just instantly took over and became a predator dog. And like I, I am amazed how aggressive he is when it comes to the you know the wildlife. And he he is not afraid. Like he storms right into the bush after stuff. He doesn't hesitate. And I'm really feeling positive this year that my predator situation might actually be severely curtailed because of him. Because uh, uh, I noticed this last winter that my tracks on the lake, I usually get a lot of uh, coyote tracks coming close to the house. And this year, with Doug running the uh, the lake uh, and the swamp area, there's no coyote tracks. 
So I'm hoping uh, that he's going to really do a good job this year. It's the second year on the job, and he's a uh, you know seems to be a natural, and he loves the ducks. Uh, it's really it's amazing watching him on the show. Uh, I, when I'm editing the videos, I always get to see how he's interacting, and and you can see how he's so happy to do things with the ducks. Yeah, and you'd never suspect a dog to be happy to do things with a duck. You know, it's like, and you watch him, and he's all his tail's wagging, and it's like, and he'll get in, and 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 if they're if they get a little bit flustered and their wings start flapping, you can see him close his eyes, like you know, like don't hit me in the face with your wing, <laughs> and, and it's like you know, it's so funny to see because he's 131 pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, there's nothing on the property that is his match, and and he, you know, he cowers to the ducks, you know, and it's... Because they're it's part like, of his pack, man, and he, he's not going to be aggressive to them. It's just... They're, they're you know, people say that it's hard to do, but I think it's just a matter of making the dog understand. Like, you had a dog old enough and mature enough to get it right away. I had a pop, so I did have to work with him a bit, but now that he understands and accepts the other animals as part of the pack, so to speak, you know, he won't hurt them. I mean, I've got videos of where the ducks are flying out of the shed and he's standing there looking in. They're flying on both sides of him. He doesn't even react. And and my dog is half pointer bird dog and yeah, half okay. pit bull. Right? Okay. It should not be in the mind of most people that a pit bull pointer mix is going to hang out with a flock of ducks. But I think dogs are just you know like everything else. Once they, they know their role and they're happy in it, they're happy to fill it. Well, they, you know, I think a lot of it is is that they 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 know these animals live here. It's part of the surroundings. Because like when the first day I brought him here, he did charge the pen the very first morning when I let him out, and he got zapped with the electric fence. And that <laughs> that uh, was a really quite a sight. Uh, he ran towards the fence because he saw the flock, and the the ducks freaked out and ran, and he got zapped. Well, after that. Every time the ducks freaked, he sort of stopped because he thought he was going to get a zap, eh? But now he knows, uh, you know, the ducks are cool, and but he's got a problem with the flying thing. Uh, he gets excited like he wants to play. Yeah. Uh, but now this spring, um, it's turned out that he hates anything flying around the yard, raptors, crows. Uh, he runs around the yard barking at things flying above the property <laughs> now. So uh, That's probably it's, good, though, man, because, oh, you know, he, you're not going to have hawk problems. He's chasing the crows off, uh, and it's really it's funny. Uh, actually, this morning one of my uh, subscribers sent me a video of crow sounds, and I videotaped it for him because I, I first day I clicked on the link and the crow crawling in the kitchen, and Doug started barking, running around the house, looking out the windows. <laughs> and this morning he was dead to the world, sleeping beside me, and I hit the link to video, it and he was sleeping on video, and instantly, just instantly, alert. You know, I've got to do something, my job. You know, and uh, so it's like. He's, uh, it's amazing how he went from an apartment dog and within two months of being here, you know, embraced it all. But the ducklings, one day, this was a, this is an interesting story. He had, the ducklings, he had just mesmerized by the chirping sound and the hatcher and like he'd have his head right in the hatcher when we were sorting through the, you know, the day olds and he was like right in there and never once ever tried to bite them. Just had his face in there, you know? So I'm in the I'm working in the yard and the dog disappeared and I couldn't figure out I'm looking all over I couldn't find him and in my in the barn there's a four foot gate and I had the door open because it was a really hot day but the gate was closed and I couldn't find Doug anywhere and I went into the barn and he had jumped the four foot gate and he was sleeping between the two kiddie pools with his head inside one of the kiddie pools with a hundred ducklings around his face. Yeah, yeah. 
And I was like, that's priceless, man. It, that, it, it, it's like the dog, he just wants to be close to these little creatures, you know? Um, and it's, and he's just uh, and so curious about them. And then he grows up with them, and the ducks, you know, they uh, the, the current flock I have at the adults, uh, they're very used to them. Like, they'll walk right underneath the stomach, and, you know, they'll, they don't panic around them. But the problem is, is when the flock gets big, when you get to the 700 uh, bird mark, you get the uh, the fight or flight instinct of the flock kicks in, yeah. and what and what will happen is one duck will panic and six hundred ninety nine fall. Yeah, you know, so you you know like like I, I can't when the flock gets to the point that duck can't go to the pen anymore because it causes the ducks to panic. Uh, but yet in the yard, you know, he can walk around the flock; it means nothing. But in the pen with them enclosed, it gets to the point that I can't bring them in because you know that one duck triggers a panic. Yeah, it's a domino effect, but you know, but it's yeah. like people, you know, they say when my I have a video on YouTube that I get bashed a lot about uh, about uh, when I had to dispatch a whole bunch of roosters that were raping my ducks, and you know they always say you know like and you know this Jack, you know, ducks at night go into their pen when it's dark, they panic, you know, they 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 the the you can't go into a pen of ducks and they stay calm like chickens, you know, like no. chickens when it gets dark they go they're dead to the world. Ducks, you go into their pan at night and they wake up and it's alert, you know? Well, you throw a bunch of chickens in the mix, you know, the chickens don't roost because the ducks wake them all up, you know? And it's like, people don't realize that, the, you know, when you get, the, and the bigger the flock, the worse it gets, you know, the panic at night. I've seen at night when a coyote's in the yard and, it, you know, the, the flock will basically move around in the pan like a blob. And, you know, the, there's electric 9,000-volt electric fence around my, my pen. So there's no way the coyote can get at them. But they don't know that. They the don't coyote know that, is pacing the pen, and the flock is, like, moving around like this this blob inside. And what happens is is they, they stampede each other. Sure. And then, then you get hurt ducks, you know. And uh, I mean, a lot of people don't understand, the, you know, the, the mentality of a flock of ducks and how it works and, and how, you know, like 10% of them are always awake on lookout. Uh, you know, and there's, you know, they don't really sleep totally. They're always sort of half awake and, you know, it's, uh, they're not. No, like I've seen duck parties at 12 midnight. They're just all, out, if they're not scared, they're just all out there having a blast. I've, oh man. Summertime, Jack. Yeah. Kager's here all the time. Yeah. They, uh, I, I, my pen is completely lit up. I have it so lit up so that they, uh, don't get panicked from the, the night noises. Yeah. I'm, 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 in the, I'm in the middle of a thousand acres of bush here. So mother nature is like right on my doorstep. So there's a lot of noises at night, and if it isn't lit up, like I made the mistake of not having the lights on, and it was just, you know, it was chaos all night. The next day, I had some hurt ducks, so I said, I got to leave the lights on, you know, and I leave the lights on, and it's much calmer, and sometimes you'll wake up, you'll hear them at 2 in the morning, and it's like, especially if it's raining, what a party. Yeah. It's like, look out, they're just playing like crazy, like they'll play all night. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's like you're looking out and you're like, it's two in the freaking Go to morning. Bed, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, man, I've enjoyed having you on today. Again, folks, the, uh, the, the channel's called 50 Ducks in a Hot Tub. And if you go to 50ducksinahottub.com, it'll even lead you there. I'll have links in the show notes today. And again, man, I, I really appreciate you being with us, Matt. Oh, Jack, I appreciate you having me on. I'm, uh, I'm glad you invited me. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I invite your viewers to come and watch the show, and uh, you know we also you know we grow heirloom organic vegetables, uh, non-GMO. We do every, we do everything the hard way here, 
just like our ancestors, you know, and uh, you know, and it's uh, it's healthier food, and you know, you you learn something, and I and I show my failures so others don't repeat them. Well, again, I appreciate you being with us today, and uh, with that, I'll say this has been Jack Spierko today, along with Matt McDougall, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Yeah.